This is Play by Playcast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play by play guys. For play by play guys, by I'm told, a play by play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now, here's the host of Play by Playcast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay. Here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. The 127th edition of Play by Playcast. Thanks as always for the subscribe, the stream, the download. However, you're tuning into this podcast on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, anywhere else you find your podcast uh, listening apparatuses. My name is Joel Godet, and this is the podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster. It's a professional development pod that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, process, stories, and preparations of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. You know, I always say that you can find the pod on social media, and you can, at PXPCast. Uh, You can find me at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T, or you can email me, J-G-O-D-E-T-T, at BSU.edu. But at the same time, I haven't tweeted a lot lately. Uh, so I want to apologize for that uh, up front because uh, it is like m- mondo crazy season this time of year in college athletics in particular when you get to crossover season. Uh, once you get to midweek action and uh, and really if I stretch back before that, uh, there's just been a lot going on. Uh, so I haven't been able to to tweet and promote things as well as possible. Uh, the good news is is you guys are still listening, uh, and the numbers have still been good. So uh, all's well, I I think that ends well along those lines. Uh, but if you wanted to track us out on social media, uh, my apologies, we have not been uh, more present along those lines. If you are new to the podcast and you uh, have not caught some of the more recent episodes, you can scroll back through our archives. All 126 previous episodes are free and at your fingertips. Last week with uh, Tommy G, Tommy Galerder from uh, FC Cincinnati, who talks about soccer play-by-play, but also, I mean, running your own production house and executive producing your own television broadcast and just how he became or will become uh, the voice of an MLS franchise. Uh, Really cool, unique story. Uh, Bill Roth from ESPN, formerly Virginia Tech the week before that. Andrew Monaco from Texas A&M. Dave uh, Heinzeiker from uh, Oklahoma State. And Mike Kelly from the Missouri Tigers are the most recent episodes that you can find. Uh, But here on episode number 127, we'll talk with Robert Portnoy. Since 2013, He has been the voice of the New Mexico Lobos, and before that, was well-traveled throughout minor league baseball, eventually winding up as the number one voice of the Albuquerque Isotopes, a job that he took when Bob Sosie departed and went east, uh, first to the Norfolk Tides, and then uh, eventually, of course, uh, winding up with the New England Patriots as their NFL voice, episode eight, I believe, if you want to scroll all the way back through. Uh, to the beginning. But Robert Boynton was a veteran of minor league baseball, the Indianapolis Indians and the Kinston Indians. No relation. Uh, (laughs) Didn't even think of that until right now. Uh, And also the Huntsville Stars uh, throughout his travels, Uh, but worked his way up through the minor league ranks, happened to take him to New Mexico. Uh, One thing led to another, and he's now the division one voice of uh, New Mexico's team. Uh, I believe he calls it like the UCLA of of New Mexico um, and later in, in the uh, in the episode. Uh, we're going to cover a lot of ground, though, today, uh, how he got to where he got, uh, the career he had before he got into broadcasting, um, 
what he looks for in a broadcast. Uh, a lot of our um, staple hallmark topics of discussion will come up with Robert Portnoy today, and we'll talk about calling games from the pit. Uh, fun conversation. Um, wonky at times. Uh, I learned a lot. Hopefully you guys do as well. We start the conversation with Robert Portnoy on his job before becoming a broadcaster because he is not the first pro athlete to have ever been on this podcast, uh, but I'm like 97% sure he is the first pro golfer to have ever been on this podcast. That's where we're going to start this week with Robert Portnoy, our guest on episode 127 of Play by Playcast. Yeah, there there was uh, a period of time after I graduated from college where I played mini tour golf. Um, I, uh, I I definitely maximized my ability. I, I at one time was a scratch player, but I was never anywhere good enough to uh, you know to to make the tour. But yeah, I played mini tours in California, and um, and it was it was a blast, man. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Uh, I competed against some guys who, you know, ended up making the PGA tour and, and saw uh, what that kind of golf looked like. And, um, my body broke down too. I, I definitely reached my ceiling and, uh, uh, it, it was something that uh, was an unbelievable experience. Have you ever broadcast golf since then? No, I haven't. That would be fun though. I was that would say, really is, that, be, is that a that bucket cool. list thing? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, nobody's ever put it to me like that. But yes, I mean, if you if you throw that into the the bucket list of, of, of broadcaster bucket list items, you know, doing a big league game, uh, you know, that that kind of thing, absolutely calling, uh, you know, like a, a golf major or something that would that would be amazing. What did you What did you want to be growing up? Uh, I mean, was 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 that something where it was like I'm going to pursue a, a, a sports track early in life and or when did broadcasting come in or was it like hey when when toying around with this failed out it was time to go get a real job and uh you know 20 years later here here you are (laughs) (laughs) uh i think like a lot of kids i mean when uh when i was little i my heroes were my favorite athletes and and i wanted to be one i think I, i think most of us who who end up doing this for a living um you know either played it or loved it when they were kids. And I, and I, I played all the sports and loved them all when I was a kid. And, um, but, but in actual fact, uh, I, I probably had an idea <laughs> even when I didn't know what I was doing, uh, that maybe that wasn't the road that would, you know, end up happening because, uh, um, even when I was a little kid, uh, I, 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 I would broadcast games. I mean, uh, one of my best buddies and I, and actually he's my oldest friend, uh, in the world, um, you know, we've known each other since kindergarten when we were little kids with an old cassette deck, we used to hit record and we'd write down, uh, you know, our favorite all-star teams from any sport you could imagine and, and, and literally just mock up games. Like sometimes we'd call games that we we're watching on the, on the screen. Like we turn the town on sound out on the television, but we had much more fun just making stuff up. And, uh, and, and, you know, and literally it would, sometimes we play legends games, you know, our favorite all time players. And uh, yeah, it, it, that's, we've been, I literally have been doing this since, uh, since my love of sports, you know, kind of formed. And that was when I was really little. So would you sit there and broadcast them to yourselves or like, was it Absolutely. like, so it, it, was we, it playing in the backyard and, and calling it while you did that? Or was it literally sitting there like broadcasting mock legends games? broadcasting mock uh both current and legend games like we you know we we pick all our favorite guys from our favorite teams and then uh 
Um, we pick some of the other individual players that we like the most and we, you know, lay out a lineup if it was baseball or, you know, whatever we were doing and we would literally record it. And I, one of the, the most incredible moments that um, I've had with, with that friend and really just ever, I mean, regarding this is uh, finding a box that had a tape that we had done of one of these games when we literally like third or fourth graders and, and listening to that. And we just laughed our, you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, you'd love to, to put it out there, but it's so ridiculous and so stupid and so silly, but it's, it, it, we, yeah, I mean, this, I guess it's funny to have, you know, dreamt about something or doing something like that uh, so long ago. And then, you know, here, I mean, my office is the pit, my office is the university stadium, my office is Santa Ana star field. So it's, it's pretty cool. I get to do all the sports I love and, um, and they actually write a check. So I was going to ask if those tapes existed, but I guess that answers that question. Um, what, <laughs> what, what was that like when you found it? Um, I, I mean, I, yeah, it's, it's like, uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, I, I imagine it, it's, it's a little bit like what happens when, um, like the, the universities will, uh, they'll take artifacts from a time period, right? And then they'll, <laughs> they'll dig a hole in the ground and they'll stick it in the ground and they'll cover it up and they'll put a plaque over it. And then 50 or hundred years later, they'll pull it out. And that's really what it was like. It was like finding a time capsule and, and going back in time and just, um, I felt like I was five years old again. So, so you're from Southern California uh, when you were five years old. Uh, yeah. And I know that uh, Vin Scully and Dick Enberg um, were the voices of your childhood. Um, beyond the obvious of just how great those guys were uh, and the fact that they were the ones most readily available at your fingertips, uh, what did you like about them and, and what endeared you, uh, not just to listening to them, but that made you want to be them when you were a kid? how lucky to have uh, just been in an area of the country where I, I got to sort of learn what this whole thing was about from two of the greatest of all time. Right. I mean, you, you just randomly could be dropped into, you know, any time zone anywhere in the world. And, and you're sort of um, a little bit locked into those that are, that are close by, right. Like you turn on the radio and those are the stations that I could pick up. And, and it's two of the greatest of all time, literally. And um, that, I mean, that's, yeah, it's like it, it's, it, the, the stroke of good fortune there is un- unbelievable. But, um, it, you know, the, 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 the vivid detail of the pictures that they painted, you know, is, is one of the things that stood out uh, unbelievably uh, about them. I mean, how much they made it feel like you were right there and, and, and that's one of the greatest compliments that a broadcaster can, can ever receive. And, and when you get one uh, sort of, you know, unsolicited from a fan, if they say, I, I felt like I was there, um, that's, you know, that's one that makes you feel great. And so that's something that, that they both had in common, that they did um, unbelievably well. But, I, you know, looking back on it, the thing that, that you know, drew me to them and made me think, gosh, this is so fun. How cool is this is, is the, is the connection that they they made me feel to the the people that they were talking about i mean i think that that's what separates um the uh the really good broadcasters from the legends is is the ones that um can humanize the players and uh make it more than just about statistics and and numbers and and 
really can uh, get you to where you feel like you you know and connect with um, the the athletes and, and the people that that we idolize so much. Certainly, as kids, I mean, you you look at those those athletes like uh, they're larger than life, and and um, they they became my friends. They they became my buddies. <laughs> so I thought, right, you know, because of Vince Scully and because of Dick Enberg and, and the, the way that they uh, could weave stories about these guys and insights into their um, their personalities and things that uh, they could put those into the broadcast, you know, without disrupting the action, but just make it so um, personal. That's what I liked the most. When you left minor league baseball, you were the Dodgers AAA voice. Um, so did you ever get a chance to meet Vin? Yes. Yeah, no, definitely one of the highlights. Um, it was 2008. We were at spring training um, at Camelback Ranch, and I got to talk with him for a few minutes. And um, yeah, it just uh, there—he—he's <laughs> he, everything that you would you would expect him to be when you meet him in person. And the the uh, the thing that struck me the most is just how genuine he is, and how eager he was to ask questions about the people around him that he was meeting for the first time. I think that's always uh, the thing, you know, the people who achieve that level of success in anything and, and reach a level of, of fame and, and notoriety, um, the ones that, uh, that when, you know, they look at you and they look you in the eye and you can tell that they're actually listening to what you're saying and they're processing it. And then they ask a follow-up question and it's not about them all the time. And when, you know, it certainly could become that because of the adulation and, and adoration that surround them. Um, they're the truly special ones that remain uh, special people despite all of that. And he's clearly that because uh, you could tell that he, you know, how, what, you know, how did, how did you get here? Why did you pick this? You know, and it, it was just really cool. Really cool. He's, he's an unbelievable guy uh, just from a short, you know, few minutes that I had to spend with him that that everybody talks about you it was obvious let's talk about what uh he and 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 I guess those guys did so well too and you talk about humanizing athletes um it's easier in baseball obviously just because of the pace of play and it lends itself to to telling stories but how do you uh work those humanizing characteristics and being able to talk about the people into something like basketball or football which are just so much more geared to, in a lot of ways, making us more robotic because we've just got to worry about down-distance time score where the ball is on the court? Such a great question, a question that is asked so infrequently, honestly. Um, it is the, it, it's the challenge. It's the, the number one challenge of, of those two sports. And, you know, the, the number of, of, of hours that, that I am fortunate to get to spend with these athletes over the course of the seasons that I'm with them. And you, you generate so much. And what I try to do is, is have something new, just a little nugget, something different, something fresh, if I can about each guy, because a football game, you only get 12 of those. And then a basketball, you're lucky if you get 35 of those. Right. And, and so, um, just something new, something different that maybe the fans haven't heard about that person or that player or that coach or, and then, and, and try to keep it fresh because you got to get in and out. You got to leave space for your color, man. The next play is coming. The continuous action in basketball. It's incredible. 
it's really hard to to weave a tapestry of stories yeah. and vignettes into those broadcasts. But um, you know, again, it, it's the same type of thing, though. It's like the the compliments that you cherish, the things that you hear from people that matter the most. Like to hear colleagues, like we had a a, a great uh, journalist here in Albuquerque. His name is Scott Stigler. Um, he has a a talk show on KKOB, which is our fifty thousand watt um, talk monster here in Albuquerque. It's it's a nationally renowned station. Um, you know, like others of its ilk, grand old stations that you can hear cross state lines, and it's been like that forever. And there there are a few of them, um, you know, still around doing their thing. And and he he used to be our sideline guy, and you know, he once said that um, you inspire me to to want to be at more practices and be around guys more because it never ceases to amaze me how you'll drop something in about somebody. And I think, how did he get that? How did he know that? And those are the things that that's, that's why I do it. I mean, if there's, if there, the single thing that I miss the most about the, the 144 uh, game grind of a triple a AAA season is spending five months with those people and those players and getting connected to them and learning who they are and what they're about and being able to convey their stories that, you know, you know, I, I get that. Don't get me wrong. I still get it. It's awesome, but you never, it's not as intense. These seasons are so much shorter and it happens so much quicker and I'm in and out of football and, you know, three months and then it's basketball. And then as soon as February hits the baseball season starts and it's just boom, 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 boom. And, luckily a lot of them stay three or four years right so you can get to know them over a course of time but it's not always the case and that's the 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 connection that i had with those guys and feeling uh you know the trust that you you gain with them so that they they share stuff that's truly meaningful that's that's what i miss most about and that's the thing i still like most about my job it's you know being able to do that with these these kids now they're 18 to 22 um, some of them were older in AAA for sure, um, but it's the same. Whether it's a college basketball player, a college football player, a college baseball player, that's you know that's the stuff that matters to me most. So here's a question we haven't asked on this podcast in a while. Uh, based off of that, is how do you hang around as much as you want and get the information that you want that helps paint the best picture that you can um, while seeming like a human? and not seeming like you're there to get information. Um, because it, to some extent you are, but to another extent you don't want to seem like you're just like mooching for knowledge off of these people for no other reason than to, to retell it on the air. I think the most important part of that is being around them enough to where they don't see you as uh, an outsider. Um, so that when you ask the questions like that, um, they're comfortable um, that you will present everything in, in an appropriate way and that they will share it with you and that they know will be used well. And so you have to be around them enough when you're not asking them questions and you're just engaging them in, a, in the same way that you would engage anybody else, uh, whether it be an acquaintance, a friend, uh, a coworker, or whatever, so that when those things come up, then they're very comfortable that um, you will do the right thing with those you know pieces of information uh, for example um we have a, a football player on our team currently Teton saltis is his name and he's an unbelievable uh story in a lot of different ways he's a lakota sioux native american 
um, from South Dakota, found his way to Albuquerque. Incredible high school athlete here in Albuquerque, and, and now he is the starting right tackle for local football. And there are a lot of, I mean, he's, he, I think he's going to change things for the, the Native American uh, community in his hometown, and I think he's going to do it probably nationally, too. He wants to go to law school. He wants to change tribal law, things like this. He's really a forward-thinking kid. But at some point, he got comfortable enough with me to share his mom's cancer story with me, and it's incredible. I mean, uh, she was uh, found to have a uh, an inoperable uh, brain tumor, and they said it was, you know, 90 whatever percent uh that she she would die from this that that it that would you know be the end of her life and she refused all um conventional medical treatment for that and went back to uh her community and got with a medicine man and the way he tells the story is unbelievable i mean they do all sorts of ceremonies and, and rituals within their culture uh, there's a, uh, a deal where he literally goes for four days without food and water at the top of a mountain in very harsh weather conditions, freezing cold, survives that as a sacrifice for her. He's basically sacrificing of himself for her. Wow. While he's doing that, she is gathering herbs and spices and things from, uh, from the land in, in their, you know, on their reservation and, and, and gathering that and creating medicines, not just for her, but they believe in their culture will help her heal, but will help heal others in the community too. She does that for four full days. And, and he told her once the whole, you know, over a two week period, I guess this whole thing was complete. He said, the next time you go in, they're going to do their scans and the doctor's going to walk into the room after they've read the scans and say, we don't know what happened. We, we don't understand it. We've never seen anything like it, but there's no tumor. And that's exactly what happened. Like exactly what happened, and she's been cancer free ever since. So, you know, a, a true miracle story, and and you know they just don't throw that out there until they're comfortable uh, doing that. And now, you know, we've had him on the radio, and it's it's awesome, and and that's that's the stuff that makes you feel really good. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how to transition from that. Um, <laughs> let's. Yeah. Uh, it, it, if we can go from the, the, I guess, the story side of things to the nuts and bolts side of things of play-by-play. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious most in, in this time of year where we do the crossovers with football and basketball, um, I feel like, and this is just my own personal side, I feel like I am more at ease in a basketball game and I can have a better flow. Um, and I'm not sure why that is, but when I listen to my football, I feel like I'm more up all the time. Um, and finding a way to to draw that back uh, in kind of your pre-snap setup and, uh, you know, make a one-yard run sound like a one-yard run, make a 50-yard run sound like a 50-yard run. Uh, how do you control your, your temperament, so to speak, uh, when you're broadcasting football um, and have that kind of on-off switch from out-of-play to in-play moments? Well, that's a, another really good question. I, I almost it's, – it's funny. I, I feel like I started – where you are and then i i learned the skill that you're talking about and and it it will happen it's just it, if you that will happen you will find that if and i'm sure you already have to a certain degree and you're probably wanting to improve on it and i feel like i've almost gone too far the other way and that sometimes now when i uh air check my football i listen to it and i think 
there's too big a separation now between the general flow of the game and the, you're, like you were talking about the TRs and a cloud of dust play where it's, it's much more of a, a stock level of enthusiasm to the big play. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget, you know, this, this is going way back now, Joel. This is when I was broadcasting in Kinston, North Carolina, um, the uh, historic Rangers Stadium, the Kinston Indians at the time. The, phenomenal the press box. Yeah, phenomenal yeah. press box. <laughs> Unbelievable. That, that's where I learned how to broadcast baseball, by the way. In, in, in this way, uh, as, a, as a tangent, and this is what happens with broadcasters, stories. It's ridiculous. But So here it is. I'll, I'll mix a, a, a story. I'll answer your question eventually somehow. Sure, sure. But, but this story is so good. So you, you mentioned the press box at Granger. It's, it's tucked under the overhang, right? It's way up at the top of the seating bowl and tucked underneath the overhang. Well, I realized immediately that as soon as the ball's hit in the air, you can't see it. It's out of your view because it's up above the ceiling. It's above your head and uh, above the overhang, and you have no shot. And that's when I learned to track the outfielders and track the umpire to give me the answers to the questions that I would have at the end of a ball and play because you can't see it at all sometimes. Yeah. And um, by the end of my first season there, uh, I felt like I had it. And in, in, in getting a couple of months um, uh, under my belt before my first year in Kinston, they hosted the, the Carolina League, California League All-Star Game. And Kinston had a player named Billy Munoz who had a walk-off game-winning home run in the All-Star Game for the Carolina League at our park that summer. And that's exactly what happened. And um, uh, Elpidio Guzman was the, the name of the center fielder. And I remember calling his name and tracking him to the wall and seeing him leap and seeing the ball go over that brick wall and losing my mind as, as our player hit the game-winning home run in that uh, that all-star game in my first full season in baseball. And I was ready for that because of the overhang and because of the, the two months or whatever, two and a half months before the all-star game leading up to that. And um, yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's like that. Now your eyes move back and forth as a, as a broadcaster. Now your eyes move back and forth. You, you find the ball, you look for the fielder, then the umpire is going to come into play when the ball gets near the wall, all those things. And you, and, and it, Granger taught me that the Granger absolutely uh, taught me that, uh, crazy that, 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 that just came to my mind, but that's, uh, yeah, if you're talking about nuts and bolts and mechanics and things like that, um, that's, that's exactly what you're, you're, you're describing, but, uh, it was a home run, um, hit by a player named Corey Erickson, a second baseman, uh, for the Indians. You had just remarkable power and it was one of those deals. And, and this is back to your original question now that, um, as I was air checking, I'm like, oh my gosh. And I shared it with one of my mentors at the time. And he's like, oh yeah. And it, it he could hit the most ridiculous, no doubt home runs, like where it's off the bat, there's no question. And, you know, I think that's kind of where I have a couple of calls that I like to use on, on uh, home runs that, you know, are gone. And one of them is uh, how far is this one going to go? Or where is this one going to land? And, um, and, he hit, hit him like that for some reason. He just he had, you know, sort of Popeye forums, and he could do it. And there was one where it was, it was here's the pitch, and then oh, and it, you know, and the, the level the, the the level of the volume change from from the pitch to him touching it off. There was no buildup. There's got to be buildup, and I think that's the thing. That's the thing. You know, even today, what what I struggle with, what you struggle with, what we all struggle with, is finding that that. Uh, that perfect pitch where 
you you have buildup from um, the, the sort of standard starting volume level and excitement level to, okay, now it's got to gradually climb so that the listener is ready when you get to the crescendo that it's not jarring and it's not like, oh my God, they want to turn the radio down or you're, you, you know, you've gone over the top and that, that's how you, you just find it. You, and you're working, clearly you're working toward it. And, and I'm, I still look for it. We all do. The wild thing with football, I feel like in particular though, is that you've always got, it's this feeling that literally anything can happen on the snap of the football. Like, and it's different in, in basketball, nobody's going to shoot it unless there's two seconds left in the game from full court. But in football, right. they can literally take that shot at any point in time. And it's like, it's finding the way to get yourself out of this heightened state of awareness, um, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? I know. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you're saying. And if you're not in that heightened state, state of awareness, then you're not ready for it when it happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you, have to, you have to have that heightened state of awareness without being overly excited, right? It's like a weird dichotomy. But um, just this past weekend, we had a – a nearly 300-pound defensive lineman take a, a scoop and score for 44 yards. And um, it, it, it's one of those ridiculous plays that happens maybe once in a career or, you know, <laughs> once every five or ten years, right? I mean, he, he said he's been waiting his whole life for it. And uh, I've never called that play before but where a 300-pound defensive lineman scoops and scores from 44 yards. And, <laughs> and uh, there, you know, there's uh, there's a moment in the middle of the play where – the, the quarterback is rolling out and being pushed to the sideline for so long that you can hear in my voice that I'm almost trying to figure out how to, to carry this call still. Like, you know, there's gotta be resolution here. He's just, and then, then it, the, it just completely comes out of nowhere at the sideline where a guy hits him just as he's about to throw the ball. Is it a pass? Is it a fumble? It doesn't bounce out of bounds miraculously and it literally bounces up right into the chest of a guy who's wearing number 95, and he looks around, and he's like, there's nobody here, and he rumbles 44 <laughs> yards. I mean, it, it's one of those, yeah, it's, it's crazy. So you have to have that heightened state of awareness to be ready, um, but yes, if you're, if you're too pumped on every play, then it does, it does sound a little, a little put on. Yeah, that's, that's fair to say. What's most important to you? in uh and beyond you know time score down distance those types of things uh most important to you when you turn on a football broadcast and then a basketball broadcast that tells you this guy knows what he's doing and this is going to be a really interesting listen hmm. well the most important thing when i flip it on um i i think i'll go back to something we started with you know it's uh that humanizing well that that I think that's a little less predictable. Like it, it's especially if it's if it's tight and there's a high level excitement and all of that, then you're not going to get that part of it. Uh, you might, but you don't know when it's coming. So then, if you're just talking about the the physical, um, like you were saying earlier, the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah. Um, I I come back to the the thing we started with in terms of the details in the picture. You know, um, there are guys that that are now so skilled at it that sometimes, you know, it, you might even look at it and go, that's, or listen to it and go, that's over the top. Like, it's, you know, the, the fewer words in the smaller spaces kind of axiom that we've all heard um, at some point, I think, uh, you know, saying saying more with less kind of is, is, is still 100% true. But it's the ones you can do that and still 
get you the vivid detail. Uh, you know, I, I just I think Kevin Harlan is unbelievable uh, in in the way that that he can give you a maximum amount of detail, um, particularly in calling football. Uh, the way he calls a punt, the way he calls a kickoff, you know, these, these unbelievable little details, things that, that you notice, but you would never think to put into your, your call of that play and he does. And it's like, wow, that's pretty cool. Um, those are the things, okay, now that, and he's grabbed me. Now let me see what he does with a 55 yard, you know, pass between, um, Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. I bet that's going to be really impressive. Right. So yeah, yeah from that standpoint, I, I love that. John Miller is a, is a baseball broadcaster who is able to do that. And I think in my later years, as I uh, w- was getting into the profession, and he was the play-by-play guy for the San Francisco Giants, and I was an undergraduate student at Stanford and listening to him do games and his, his ability to describe every last detail of a play and sort of keep it in real time somehow um, is incredible. And I, I think that I've, I've tried to incorporate that some of that into what I do. It's it's funny how what you do is is a sort of a a hodgepodge mix of all the best things that you can think of, you know, over time. Now that you look back on it, the guys that you've listened to and grown up with, the storytelling, you know, picture painting from Emberg and Scully, and then the the incredible detail that um, John Miller can put into you know backhand play in the hole between short and third that gets a guy by a step at first base and how. Uh, he's able to describe it. So, yeah, I think that's the thing. If you're just talking about the nuts and bolts of it, it's the guys that um, um, they, they put me right in the stands and I'm seeing the play and, and I can see every little every little piece of it. Do you like being uh, – do you enjoy the role as the voice of a an FBS program? Um, and how does that compare and contrast with where you were for so long in minor league baseball and, and reaching the AAA level and, and being involved with the isotopes as you were? This is uh, not to demean one over the other, but <laughs> right, no, of hundred percent. Gosh, there there is a a passionate group of fans um, that are isotope fans and that are following the team and are engaged. And you know, th- these are the ones that that anybody who's worked minor league baseball, they know these fans so well. They're they've got. Uh, books full of baseball cards. They're around getting signatures from uh, coaches who used to be old players. They've got the, the rookie cards of all the prospects. They're they just they love it, and they and they they're the ones that come up to you and they'll say thank you, you know, for for getting me, uh, you know, close to player X or whatever like that. Things like that through the broadcast, and that that part of it is unbelievable. But there's a part of the minor league baseball experience. that's it's, it's just entertainment based, right? I mean, mm. um, the, the fans, the stands are full, uh, at isotopes park with a, with a core of season ticket holders and fans who, you know, want to know the final score, but there's a majority of them that are there for an experience. And it's not as much about, um, passionate, uh, winning and losing. Right. Yeah. And, and, that's the thing about being the voice of a division one uh, athletic program is that and, and to be so lucky to be the voice of this program where the fans are so passionate because this is, you know, this is the Pittsburgh Steelers of Albuquerque. This is the, <laughs> the Los Angeles Dodgers of, of Albuquerque. I yeah. mean, it, the Lobos are it. And 
Um, they live and die with every minute of every basketball game, uh, like uh, nothing I've ever seen. And, and the only thing that a broadcaster can hope for is to have um, the, the people that uh, are following that team and listening to your work be passionate and care as much as these fans do. And that's both good and bad, right? They, they, they're on it when it's not good, and they are totally behind it uh, when it is good. And that's all you can hope for, and, and I love it. I mean, that, that's, that's what makes this job unbelievable. Yeah, how's calling a game at the pit? Um, nothing like I've ever experienced before. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, my first year doing uh, Lobo basketball is the best experience I've ever had in broadcasting. Uh, the Lobos won the Mountain West Tournament Championship um, in Vegas that year, beat rival San Diego State in the, in the final. And um, I've got, I still got photos on my phone, and I go back to them to make myself smile every now and again, of, of that court being uh, filled with cherry and silver people. And um, it was like, you know, we'd won the national championship, and literally the stands that day at the Thomas & Mack in Vegas, there were between – 11 and 12,000, uh, literally 11 and 12,000 Lobo fans. Uh, that's, that's how this team travels when it goes to Vegas for the tournament. And, um, you know, that, that first season in New Mexico actually went right down to the, the, the very end, the last weekend of the regular season in terms of the regular season title with, with San Diego State. Um, lost a heartbreaking game on the road to them to lose a regular season championship and then got revenge in the tournament. But basically every game that season was, was packed to the rafters, and this place is just absurd. When, when 15-4-11 are in here and they're engaged and the team is winning, there's nothing else like it. I mean, it's, it's, it's legendary for a reason. It has, international, uh, has an international reputation because of it. And, um, yeah, it's uh, something to behold. There's no doubt. What else do you do? What's your I, what's your full? Is it just calling games, or how else do you you occupy your time outside of the trampoline park too? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I, I'm I'm full time with the Lobos. You know, I, I get two months off in the summer. Um, but yeah, I, that's not a bad I go deal. right from yeah. no, no, it's it's I go right from football to basketball to uh, to baseball, and then if baseball. Uh, you know, carries into June and I, I work till mid June. And if baseball's finished at the end of May, then, then that's, you know, once football goes back to training camp, I'm, I'm back full time, but, um, you know, they have, they have me do a lot of things. Uh, UNM does, I, I MC banquets for them. I've, uh, I've spoken to a, a broadcasting class before, um, do all kinds of voiceovers for them and things that I'm sure many broadcasters do in, in their, uh, you know, at their schools. Um, but yeah, the trampoline park is, uh, you know, that's, that's the other piece of it. And it's, it's my wife's baby, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm always available and I, you know, help out wherever I can. So Robert, how do, uh, how do people track you down if they want to hear the Lobos, um, or, or follow you on social media, things of that nature? Yeah. So my Twitter account is at Rob talks Lobos. Um, and it, uh, I try to have as much fun with it as I can, you know, <laughs> at Rob talks Lobos and, and then, um, and, and you know what, I, I, everything I post on Twitter uh, goes straight to my Facebook page, too, so you can find me there. Um, and then golobos.com is our website. And, and if you go to the schedule page uh, of any of our uh, sports, whether it's football or men's basketball or baseball, the three that I do, there will always be a link right there uh, next to the game on game day. 
um, and they can click that link and listen in from anywhere you can get a connection. All right, that's Robert Portnoy joining us here on play-by-play cast of the New Mexico Lobos. Uh, you know, if I can go back to the wonky part of the pod and, and end on a postscript with that, uh, you know, one of the things I've been working on myself football season-wise this year is separation of play-by-action voice and non-action voice and um, being able to to have a more calm demeanor during pre-snap play setup and two and three yard runs and then obviously I mean you hit a certain high on a 50 yard run but but even kind of bringing myself down more on the more mundane um, so that it's just an easier listen I think would be the best way to describe it that's been my focal point that I've you know worked on a lot this season we all listen to our stuff back and we draw out things that we want to work on uh, at every level I mean Kevin Harlan will do it after Monday Night Football games, uh, he reviews everything he does. Um, my big thing has been has been that, and it was interesting to hear uh, Robert's perspective on that, and kind of uh, working your yourself to be uh, reserved yet prepared is probably the best way to encapsulate that. Um, just reserved yet prepared for that big moment to strike. And at the same time, not catch you off guard. Uh, if you want to get involved on social media this week, uh, tweet us the things that you've been working on. Um, we can maybe create some conversation that way as well. Things that have been your bugaboos this year, things that you have worked to improve on, uh, or things that you have struggled with that you're looking for solutions for. Um, if you want an answer about something uh, that's bothered you, A, maybe we can ask it on a future upcoming episode of the podcast, uh, or B, we can just talk about it as a community on uh, Twitter as well. Uh, Next week's guest is Jordan Burnfield, who does play-by-play for, like, everyone. Um, He'll be doing the Ball um, State-Purdue men's basketball game Saturday night in West Lafayette. Jordan and I went to college together. Um, yes, I know you're going to have another Syracuse guest. I promise we'll try not to talk about it um, because we'll talk about some other things with Jordan uh, and, and and hit some different notes uh, that I think you guys will enjoy. That is next week's episode. Uh, many thanks to Robert Portnoy. Looking forward to Jordan's conversation next week. And again, uh, send us those tweets at PXPcast or hit me up directly at Joel Godet. They're playing the music, which means we are out. So I will see you next week from Charleston, South Carolina. Heading on the road for a basketball tournament. We'll have some guests, hopefully, coming out of that as well. Uh, In the meantime, so long. This is Play by Playcast. My name is Joel Gannett, and we are out. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.